0: Started okay, good. All right, so uh, let me bring up the source sheet here. I'd like to first point out that uh, this entire series was really the brainchild of our dear friend Kurt, who uh, he and I went out to coffee back when there was a coffee bean, back when it was kosher, back when people could sit together and drink coffee, a lot of things ago. Um, and uh, and he said, Could we do something to go a little further in depth? So then we came up with what ended up being this year which I think we met about five, six times or more at Young Israel before we went to Zoom. In any case, um, Kurt's father's site is this week. It is, uh, I believe on Thursday, uh, the 8th of Shvat. And his name is on the page here, uh, Yaakov Ben Avraham. And so this shear is given in his memory. And as I said to you in the email, I hope that it's a fitting memorial to your father's uh, legacy. Um, Great, thanks and- Rabbi. And and your involvement in the she'er and your involvement in moving the she'er along is really is really a big schut for him. Okay, uh, we we did, went for she'irim through the topic of Isureh Hanot, and um, we're moving on. And we are now in Dafyomi, We are towards the end actually of the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter is a chapter called Makom Nahagu. and the entire chapter is about minhagim. And almost all, not all, but almost all of the critical uh, material in the Talmud Bavli about minhagim is found in that chapter. People will often resort to uh, material in that chapter or turn to material in that chapter, for instance, when discussing the issue of one day versus two days Yom Tov, if you're an Israeli in America, if you're an American in Israel, etc., cetera, uh, because there is a school of thought that puts it into the realm of minhag. Um, it's not a consensus, but there is a school of thought. Um, the reason that Makom Shanagu is there, and we're going to briefly go off of this screen and take a look at, um, at the Mishnah, because we have to understand, what is this chapter doing here at all? In other words, why is there a parak about Min Now, one could easily imagine that the reason is because what time is there? where minhagim plays such a critical role, if not at the Pesach Seder. But that's not actually it. So what you're looking at here is uh, our friend, Hillel Novetsky's website, Allah Torah, the Mishnah section. And I'm going to Moed Sachim and I'm going to chapter four, which is our chapter. All right? and as you see, the first Mishnah is about places where there was a minhag not to work on Arab Pesach in the morning and that that was a legitimate minhag. There are places that had the minhag not to, the minhag to work Pesach, ere Pesach in the morning, and that's a legitimate minhag also. And that's critical because you should know that if you come from a place where the minhag is not to work and you meet somebody who's doing work ere Pesach in the morning, you should understand that that custom is a legitimate custom too. And then the Mishnah goes on to determine what happens if you are somebody from a place that does malachan ere Pesach, and you come to a place that doesn't, or vice versa, how you're to behave, right? And so that's why this mishnah is here. Now we roll through, and the very end of the parak has a mishnah. Uh, it's called mishnah here, and you will see that there's a mishnah tet, but it's not so clear. It's a mishnah. We're going to talk about that because we're going to talk a little bit about the history of mishnah and Tosefta, because that's going to be critical here. Uh, if you snick, snuck a peek at the source sheet, you saw that uh, that the that the um, Uh, that the, I put the Tosefta with the Tav up. Naftali, you didn't get a source sheet, did you? All right, can somebody forward the source sheet to Naftali, please, so that I I stay on this uh, here? Um, Thank you. All right, so the eighth Mishnah here um, is not a departure, because it's still talking about Min Hagim. And by the way, this parak is the end of what the Rishonim refer to as Pesach Rishon. Uh, You know that the name of the masachet, I think I mentioned this at the very beginning, the name of the masachet is p'sachim, which is plural, as opposed to Yoma, Sukkah, Rosh Hashanah, Megillah, Tani, which are all singular, even Shabbat. Why p'sachim? So some of the Rishonim explain that there's really two different masachot here. There's chapters 1 through 4 and 10, which are about Pesach as we observe it after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And there's chapters 5 through 9, which are about Pesach in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the Korban Pesach. And we are going to do a fascinating sugya over the course of the next two weeks, next week and the week after, about Korban Pesach uh, and about Hillel. It's a, an amazing story, great story. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, this is the end of Masech Pesach Rishon, as it were. By the way, if you look in the riff, you'll see something wild. If you look in the riff, the riff, of course, only abridges halachot that are practical in the 11th century in Morocco, and 20th century in, uh, in in Israel and the States, and even 21st century. And when he finishes the fourth chapter, then immediately goes to the 10th chapter. There's just no fifth through ninth chapters. And some of the commentators, including the, the Balamar and the Ramban, have a couple comments to fill in the gaps. And then move on, because the 10th chapter is so powerful, so central, it is the Seder, it is the entire uh, so, uh, order of events and sequence of events from the afternoon of of Pesach all the way through the end of the Seder. All right, so uh, after all of these different customs that are mentioned um, about uh, doing malachan teshav, about lighting and candles for Yom Kippur, etc., the Mishnah then says the following. Shishad varim. I'm going to actually switch back because we have it on the source sheet, and that way we can stay put on the source sheet. Here it is. All right, so um, Shishad varim. we're going to go back to the Psukim in a little bit. Shishad varim Asu We now hear that the people lived in Jericho had particular unique customs or behaviors. Uh, now, Jericho, by the way, uh, which we know in biblical times was originally a wasteland, after Yoshua destroyed it, there was a curse that he put on anybody who rebuilt Yericho. But in the times of Achav, which means approximately uh, 300 years, th- three to 400 years later, uh, there was a particular fellow from Beit El by the name of Chiel who built Yericho, and the curse of Yoshua known happened to him. All of his sons died by the time he finished building the city. Uh, but Yericho remained a populated town all the way through the rabbinic era. And by the way, somebody very famous who lived in Yericho was none other than Hillel, who we're going to learn a lot about next week. All right? So now, there were six customs that the people of Yericho had. Now you notice I put that in red, and we're going to see why. Three of the customs that they had, the Chachamim protested against. They tried to stop them. Whether they were successful, we don't know. And three of them, they didn't protest. Now, when you say they didn't protest, what does that sound like? Now, that's that sound like these are good customs? Or that these are not good customs, but three of them were really problematic, and three of them, Hamza said, not worth the trouble, not worth uh, going head to head with them. You got to pick your battles. So what do you think as far as that goes? What does mi chubi adan and Lo mi chubi adan st- sound like? Does it sound like these are good behaviors? Three are good behaviors and three are bad behaviors? Or does it sound like they're all problematic, but three raised red flags and the other three were just yellow lights? What do you think? Three terrible and three not so bad. Exactly, exactly. Now you're going to see the background to what I'm asking. All right, and the, 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 I want to show you some methodology along with this about where Mishnah would come from. You'll see. The Elu Shalom Meichu Here's the three that the Chachamim did not protest against. Markivim dekalim b'chol yom. They would um, uh, graft trees. This is a Shemitah, particular halacha. They would graft palm trees. Of course, Yericho uh, is called marim the city of date palms. V'chorchim et Shema. That's the thing that we're concerned with. They would sandwich or attach Shema. What does that mean? We'll see. But they had this custom and the Chacham didn't protest. shim the Omer, They would harvest grain before the Omer was brought. They would pile it up. They just wouldn't eat it because that's an issue of chadash, which we talked about last week. They didn't protest. Three other customs that they had that the chachamim protested against. They would take the the, uh, when they had uh, bands that they would tie hekdesh food up with. They would untie them. Uh, Context is way beyond what we can do right now. They would eat un, uh, tr- a fruit that had fallen off of trees. question is whether this is a, a, a trumot masrot halacha, or it's a gezel halacha. But, Nim paya they would give peya from vegetables, which is a problematic thing, because when you give peya, you don't separate trumot and masrot. Okay, and now you have the end of the Mishnah, looks like it's coming out of nowhere. We're not even going to read the six, because they're not relevant to us. But notice that this line says there were six things that Chizkiyahu amelech did. Now this takes us back, on Shei that we're talking here, our 1st century BCE, maybe 1st century CE. Chizkiyahu is 8th century BCE. So some very old tradition that Chizkiyahu amelech, who was actually one of the real heroes of the Davidic line, did six things. And by the way, these are not six customs. These are six acts, meaning these are not ongoing customs. These are one-time acts that he did. And Chachamim agreed with three and didn't agree with three, meaning they didn't consent to three of them. All right, One of them actually may have to do with, uh, with uh, the water tunnel that we're all familiar with, Nikbat kiskiyaw. Uh, But our, our issue is not, is not what the things are. But notice the wording. In the first part of the Mishnah, it talked about three things that they protested, three things they didn't protest. In the second part, it says three things that they commended Chizkiyahu for, and three things they didn't commend him. Now is the difference between that, that you can't really protest against the king if you want to live? Is it that? Or is it that the things that who did were since they were just one-time things, there was nothing to protest, because he's not going to do it again. Or is it because really all six things he did were not bad, and three of them were really good? I'm just pointing that out. Now you're going to see where this comes from. Now, we've talked about this in the past, but it's going to really come to a head today, as you can see. Rabbi Huda Nasi compiled orally, but compiled, organized, and published orally the Mishnah in around the year 220. We divide 210, 220, give or take. We'll call it 220. Of course, the mishnah was the select group of halachot that were taught, that were winnowed out from probably between 10 and 15 times as many of other halakhot that were out there, other versions of the same halachot, and many cases much longer and bigger halachot, meaning bigger in text. And so there were all of these brightot floating around that were not part of the official Mishnah, but they were still important teachings. So the first thing that happened evidently in the wake of the publication of the Mishnah was that Rabbi Yudana See's students put together the next layer of brightot following the same exact order and called it Tosefta. And Tosefta, it's unclear if they called it Tosefta, they probably didn't. But it got called Tosefta because it was essentially an add-on and in some sense a commentary on the Mishnah. And there are places where it is abundantly clear that the Tosefta is looking at the Mishnah, sees a line in the Mishnah, says this line is unclear and we're going to explain it. Sometimes it's very clear that Tosefta is a commentary on the Mishnah. Here you're going to see something that's a little bit of the opposite. Uh, The Tosefta, by the way, runs parallel to the Mishnah, meaning the Tosefta is in six orders, The first one is Zerayim, the first Masechet is Brachot, then Peah. then Demai, etc. It follows the same order, and the themes are the same. So the very first Tosefta in Brachot, just like the first Mishnah, is about when to say Shema at night, then when to say Shema in the morning, etc. It follows the same sequence, but there's a lot of variations, a lot of differences. By the way, the Tosefta is three times the size of the Mishnah, just to give you a sense. of, of. And it's not because there's more topics. But, the, but a, typically, a paragraph of Tosefta is much bigger. It'll include sukim. It'll include more tangents. It'll include more discussions and debates. You're looking at the parallel Tosefta here. By the way, there's only three masachdot of mishta that there is not a Tosefta for. Uh, Midot, tamid, I think, and, and avot, I believe. OK. Shishat veri masu and shei yiricho. All right, here's, here we go. Now notice. Now, I want to remind you, what did our Mishnah say? Our Mishnah said, three of them the Chachamim protested against, and three they didn't protest. Look at our Tosefta. It reads very differently. It says there's six things the people of Yericho did. Six of them the Chachamim liked. Three of them the Chachamim liked, sorry. And three of them they didn't like. And it lists them, and by the way, it has the same exact list of six things, three and three. And one of the things they did... That the Chachamim liked was Korchina tshma, which we got to get to, and that's our main topic. Now, Rabbi Huda comes along and says, I don't get it. I don't get it. Im Chachamim hein osin, If three of the things were favored by the by the Chachamim, you call Adam kein. Then why didn't the Chachamim say, Hey, look at what the people of Yerich are doing? It's so great. Let's everybody do it. Everybody Korik so Rabbi Yehudah is bothered by the language. He said, I don't understand why you would describe the people of Yericho as doing six things, three of which the Chachamim approved of, and those three things don't become now standard practice for everybody. So Rabbi Huda says, So what does Rabbi Huda say? You got it wrong. The tradition is not that three of them were favorable and three were not. But three of them, they protested, and three of them, they didn't. Now, I want you to look at this line, and then look back at the Mishnah, and you could see the Tosefta predates the Mishnah here. Do you
1: see it? Could you define Rechorachim?
0: That's what we're going to get to. We're not there yet. That's going to be the, the, the nut of the shear. But, but you notice, here the Tosefta predates the Mishnah. Because the Tosefta starts out with a line that says, three were favorable, three were unfavorable. Rabbi Huda turns around and says, I don't get it. If they're favorable, why don't they become standard practice? Rather, three, they protested, three, they didn't protest. And by the time we get to the Mishnah, what do we read? Three, they protested, three, they didn't protest. So the relationship between the Tosefta and the Mishnah is not so clear. It's not clear that the Tosefta is a commentary on the Mishnah. And by the way, this is a major theory that was advanced by Professor Shama Friedman in his book Tosefta Tikta where he maintained that in many cases, the Tosefta predated the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was the result of discussions in the Tosefta. And you see a great example right in front of you. Okay, but now let's get to Korchina Shma. What is Korchina Shma, Um, That is the one topic that I picked out of these six, which the people of Yericho did, and Chachamim didn't protest. Remember, it's we've moved from they favored it, to they didn't protest which means we're not happy with it but it's not so bad or however you want to parallel right here we go so now i put it in yellow what does corchin look like now you know the word korech what is korech since we're in Psachim, it's pretty easy what's korech sandwich sandwich is to tie together as a matter of fact a book binder is a korech somebody who binds books together or binds leaves together of a book. So Krohinat Shema would mean that they sandwich Shma together. Well, what does that mean? So let's see. Omer Shma Yisrael Adonai Adonai Echad. V'lo hayu Now, all that means is they would say the first pasuk and then they would not interrupt. What kind of interruption was there that they weren't doing? Baruch there we go. So here we go, Rabbi Yehuda Omer m'afsikin hayu, they actually would pause, Ela hayu omrim baruch Shem va'ed. Now, what becomes clear between Rabbi Yehuda and, and, and Tanah is that the people in Yericho did not insert the line baruch Shem kod Le'Olam va'ed. And Chachamim didn't protest, which makes it sound like leaving out baruch Shem is not a good idea, But it is, as we say in Serbo-Croatian, nisht azoi right? It's something not worth protesting against. Okay, so now, before we go on to looking into this issue of Baruch Shem and where it comes from, um, I just wanted to show you this. What you're looking at here is, um, and this is purely for your own edification and a little bit of entertainment. This is the most reliable ketaviyad or manuscript of the Tosefta. It is, I believe, an 11th century manuscript. It is called Taviyad Vina because it sits in the, in the uh, uh, library in Vienna. Um, actually, I believe it's in Oxford right now, but it was in Vienna. And it's known as Taviyad Vina, which is the, considered to be the best Taviyad of the Tosefta. Let's take a look again. And by the way, it's, this is beautiful text, as you can see. Um, and let's take a look at our section Ketzad uh, You could see where my where my arrow is there. Omer, Shma Israel Vigomer, Mafzikin. Now you notice that in the Ketav Yad of the Tosefta, there's lots of shortcuts. There's lots of abbreviations, and they didn't write all of Shema Yisrael out. Rabbi Yehuda, and it's missing the word Omer, Baruch Shem That's it. I just wanted to show it to you so you could see it. And there we go. All right, so what we really need to do is to get down to what Baruch Shem Machutol is, why it's there, why the people of Yericho left it out, why that was acceptable but not ideal. And that's what we're going to try to figure out here. Okay, we're going to start by going back to the psukim. The first set of psukim is something we don't have to look over, it's Shema Israel. The second pasuk is actually something we're going to need. In uh, the three weeks ago, in parashat Vayechi, at the center of the parasha is chapter 49, which is that dramatic scene when Yaakov calls all of his sons together and gives them their brachot. Reuven, what's the bracha? He gets a mishaberach. Shimon and Levi get even worse. They get a mole almost. And then Yehuda gets a bracha, etc., and it's all beautiful. All right. and Shimon and Levi essentially get thrown out of leadership of the family. But the, the piece starts as follows. Vayikra Yaakov el banav Vayomer asher etchem All right. So what does he say? Come and gather and I'll tell you what's going to happen to you at the end of days. Now there are two ways to read this pasuk. Pshat and the Midrash. Pshat and what Yaakov is saying I believe is let me tell you what you guys are going to be doing when we are done with this stage of our lives, meaning we're in Egypt now. We're going to be here for a while because the famine's over and we didn't leave. God told me to stay here and Yosef would take care of me, so I'm here. You got to bury me back in Canaan, but you're going to be staying here. But when this stage of your existence is over and you leave, then things are going to change. Yehuda is going to be in charge and Yosef's going to be the one to take care of the family in Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, that's pshat, acharit yamim however, based on the fact that acharit yamim in later prophets is used to speak about the end of days, meaning the end of history, the Midrash here comments that Yaakov wanted to tell his sons when Mashiach is coming, and what's going to happen. However, the very next pasuk says, He says, come and listen to me, your father, which means he's gathering them a second time. And so the Midrash says that his intent got subverted. He originally wanted to tell them what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. And then the Ruach HaKodesh left him. And so then he went on to giving them brachot, which means instead of this being a linear piece, it's a zigzag. Okay. But there's a midrash behind it, and let's see that midrash. Here it is in the Sifri, in Anshma. The Sifri is the midrash Halacha and Dvarim. Anshma. V'cheinatam yeah, motzei. Shaiya Yaakov avinu niftar min ha-olam. Yaakov was dying. Karala levanav v'ochicham kol achad v'achad He called his children together and he gave them musar. And he quotes the pasuk and Shimon Levi et cetera once he rebuked each one of them individually, then he called them back together. Now this is one version of the Midrash. We're going to see a second version. Do you guys have a problem with God? What did they say? Who's Israel? Avinu. Their kids said to their father, "Shema Israel, kashem she machloket kach machloket." It's something really very deep here. Just like you don't have a problem with God, even though you went through all the terrible travails, and with Lavan and with Yosef and everything else, nonetheless you're good with God. Ella, we're also good. Kach olam. Ela, Adonai Adonai Echad. So now, how are you reading Shema Israel? It's not Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Dvarim, turning to Bnei Israel and saying to them a lesson. Shema Israel, listen to the people. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Rather, it's Moshe reporting a conversation between Yaakov's sons and Yaakov. That Yaakov's sons turned to him and said, Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So what happened? Yalkeinu Omer by Yisrael Rosh which is why and this, by the way, is earlier in the text. Israel bowed, Yaakov bowed. Could you bow at the head of a bed? He bowed about his bed, meaning he gave thanks to God that not one rotten kid came out of his bed, that his kids were all loyal to God. There's another opinion that he was thankful that Ruven did Shuba for what he did with Bilhah. Okay, davar acher sheamar baruch shem kvod malchuto leolam vaed. that's what Yaakov did. What does it mean by Yishtachar Yisrael roshamita? That again, this is out of context, but that when his children said to him, Shema Israel, adonai lo heino adonai he responded baruch shem kvod malchuto leolam vaed. Amar lo akadosh baruchu. In other words, he was thanking God that his kids were all good with God. <laughs> so, G-d <G-dush> Baruch Hu said, Yaakov, <laughs> He said, Your whole life, Yaakov, you were concerned that your kids should get up early in the morning and stay up late at night and say Kriyat Early in the morning to learn, stay up late at night learning and saying Kriyat And now you got it. Perfect. Okay. I want to skip ahead for a moment. We're going to come back to this, to this piece. Um... Here is the other version, slight variation of the Midrash. It's in the Gemara, we're going to learn in a moment. The Amarib Shimon Ben Lakish, right Yochanan's brother-in-law and student. Yaakov wanted to reveal the end of days to his kids. left him. Now watch how this comes together. Maybe the Shechina left me because one of you guys is no good. Meaning, what? Maybe I have a kid who secretly is not a believer. Look, Grandpa Avram had Uncle Ishmael. And I've got a brother named Asav. So maybe my kids also have some rejects, if you will. So in other words, in this version, what happens is when Yaakov wants to tell them about Mashiach, suddenly it's gone, the spirit is gone, and so he thinks the spirit must be gone because somebody here is not worthy of it. So he turns to his kids and he says, "Somebody here not 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 uh, not uh, signed on to the to the program." So they all said, "No, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad," meaning Hashem, who is our God, He is one. We we have not, no truck with Egyptian beliefs and we haven't given up on God. Just like you only have one in your heart, your belief in one God, so in our heart too. Yaakov at that point then turned around and said, Baruch shame But in either version here, Yaakov is responding to B'nai Israel saying, Shema Yisrael, B'nai Israel, meaning his own kids, saying, Papa, We believe in one God, and he says, thank God for that. And may God's name be blessed forever. Okay, beautiful. So that's kind of the background behind Baruch Shem. But I want to show you another piece about Baruch Shem, which is also from the Sifri, but the other end of the Sifri, at the end of Dvarim. If you recall, Moshe's farewell song, Ha'azinu, Shirat Moshe, Begins like every other song with a few introductory psukim. Next week we're going to read Shirat Hayam and it has introductory psukim. That's all intro, and then the song. So in the intro to Hazinu, Moshe uses these psukim. And then when I call out, when I invoke God's name you all give greatness to god grant greatness to god okay here we go rabbi Yossi omer so how do i know that when the chazan gets up it says red. how do you know you have to answer How don't have to answer he said he blesses god how, how do i know i have to answer and answer in kind Shenamakhi, Shemad we go to because the pasuk says, when I invoke God's name, you give greatness to God. In other words, by the way, every morning and every evening, when we're answering to Baruch Hu, we are we are standing in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu is saying Baruchu, and we're all answering Baruch Hashem Rachel Baruch Pretty powerful. Amar Rabbi Nehorai. So Nehorai turns to Rabbi Osi and says, HaShamayim, That's like an oath. Derech Eretzi, Guliarim mitgarim ba melchama giborim this is perfect for playoff season. Because if you think about it, who gets the MVP and who gets the big truck at the end of the big game is either a quarterback or running back, right? And who does all the work? The linemen. Now, I didn't make it up. It's right there in the Midrash. Gulyarim mitgarim the grunts do the fighting. B'giborim nottschim and the big shots come and they get them at the medals, all right? So how that exactly ties in with this statement is a little bit odd. But this is what he's saying about that: that we we give great, greatness to God, we also want to be in on the on kind of on the glory. By the way, when we sit to bench, we have to make sure there's three of us to do zimun. Why? When I singular call out in God's name, you all plural respond, and that's by the way one of the two sources in the seventh parak for, for zimun bishlosha. Parenthetically, the Ramah says that if you have a this is by the way is a big COVID question, if you have a very very small group of people at your seder, you should at least try to make sure that there's three who are not only there but awake when you get to hallel. So when you say hodu, at least you're saying hodu, and two guys are two people are answering men or women are answering. Right? I deal with a minion, but you know we can't always do that. And hopefully this year things will be better by that time. Okay. How do I know that when somebody says a bracha, you have to say amen? He's called God's name. You have to give greatness to God. Here we go. Now this is a little strange because all the other things are invocations or evoke. I'm invoking God's name, you respond. Baruch Hashem is an invitation. It kadal be kadal is an invitation. Say This is not shveravad is not an invitation. So why baruch shame here? Shemar kishemadunai krah. Right and watch this. Uminayin sh the omrim yehi shmo agadoma vorach which is yehi shmei rabban vorach. Shnuachareim they alamulomeil malamim. Interesting. They had a different custom. Somebody would say yehi shem yehi shmei vorach and people would answer they alamulomeil maya. And again from the same source. So, what we see now is Bar Shem is operating on two planes. It's operating on a quasi historic, meta historic, pseudo historic, whatever you want to call it, plane of the conversation between Yaakov and his sons. And it's also operating on a plane of responding to praise to God by saying Bar Shem. But the second one is very difficult because First of all, how do we say Baruch shame You're right, we do it silently. And second of all, it's not a call and response. We don't have the, the say shemay we all say Baruch shame even quietly. We all say both of them, and we do them when we're alone. So there's something strange here. By the way, we'll touch in on the common custom that we have. It's an old custom of saying Baruch shame out loud on Yom Kippur. And where bar- saying Baruch Shame out loud come, came from. So I know you're all, you all, uh, we're going to put that in the chat, I know. Okay, so now let's go to our Gemara. We've laid all the questions out. Let's go to our Gemara, and let's study the Gemara. Korchin et shema. This is the Gemara right here. There is a comment of Rabino Chananel that I will be honest with you has been driving me crazy for three days. Uh, you can ask for a because I've been bugging him not, no end about this for three days. All right, Korchin et shema. Here we go. Hechi Avdi. What did they do? Now remember, the Mishnah just said Korchin et shema. The Tosefta was the one that described either they would just say Shema straight without a break or they would stop and not say Bar Shem. Rabbi Yuda, that's not in the Mishnah. So the Gemara doesn't know it. Ki'ilu. Now he has a different attempt, a, a take. Rav represents what the Tosefta said as the main opinion, which is, they would just say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Adonai, Chad no break at all. Rava says it was something else. They would say, Hayom al mayom machar al He says, you know what Korchin is? Korchin is that they would read without proper punctuation. In other words, they would just run the words together. Now, I'm going to read the third pasuk for you, Y'all know it, but I'm gonna read the third Pasuk for you two ways, and to see the difference in, in sense. We'll take a look at it together here on top. Right? Or etzavcha Hayom Now, the first way I read it was the things that I command you today should be on your heart. When should they be on your heart? At all times. The second way I read it was which by the way is wrong according to the Trump, right Dr. Wasserman? I messed up my tip. But if I read that means today they should be on your heart. Tomorrow I'll do whatever you want. So in other words, according to this second take, Rava's take, the way that they read it was actually an incorrect reading, at least punctuation or syntactically, and gave a, a wrong impression about what they're trying to communicate. And now the Gomorrah quotes HaTosefta, Tanu Sorry. By the way, in HaTosefta there's no name there, the Baavli adds in Reb okay now we're ignoring Rava Rava said what he said we're moving ahead we're going to stay with Bar shame but on wait a second they didn't say Bar shame why do we say Bar shame if you think about it take a look back here at Shma. there ain't no bar there if you were, if you listen last time that, that we had Parshat ve Khanan you're able to get to shool. It was in the middle of this whole thing. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad There's no shame in there. So the Gemara turns around and says, you're upset that they didn't say it? Why do we say it? And they quote the Midrash that we just read about Roshim Lakish, about Yaakov on his deathbed. So now, watch what the upshot is. Amir Rabbanan. So the Rabbanan said as follows. what should we do? Meaning, it sounds like they're saying, We've got this tradition that Yaakov Avinu had this conversation with his sons. What do we do? Nomruhu, should we say Baruch Shem, meaning out loud, lo amarò Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe didn't say it, so we can't say it, meaning it's not part of Shema. Lo nomruhu, should we not say it at all? Amaro Yaakov, but Yaakov said it. So we're basically caught between a rock and a hard place, which is... Moshe versus Yaakov. he came, by the way, at no point did Moshe say, "Don't add anything in here," and Yaakov at no point said, "I want everyone to do this for generations." But we're like looking at their activity of either saying it or not saying it as being not just descriptive but prescriptive. This is what you should do. So, hitkinu um, shi So the the the, the uh compromise was say it quietly which by the way if you think about it is is the is the guy with the two wives you guys know the story with the two wives right so there's a a rav and he comes to his students and uh and he says uh what would you like me to, to learn with you halacha or agada and one guy said halacha the other guy said agada and so he said it's like a guy who's got two wives He's got a young wife and an old wife, right? The old wife keeps pulling out his black hair because she doesn't want to feel like she's older than he is. And the young wife keeps pulling out his white hair because she doesn't want to feel like he's an old man. And he ends up bald. So think about it here. We actually haven't solved anything. Yaakov said it. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to say it quietly. But I mean, then you're not saying it. On the meantime, Moshe didn't say it, but we're going to say it quietly. So we're going to still have an interruption. What that means is there's something else going on here. There's something going on under the surface, behind Yaakov and his sons and Moshe. There's something else going on. We we'll have to see what that is. All right. Uh So they give a mashal here. Mashal of All of the mashalim and chazal are royalty. We don't really recognize it, but it's a princess. She smelled some sort of fragrant smell from from uh, uh, scents that were put into a pot, and she has a big desire for it. Im Tomar If we bring it to her publicly, so it's degrading. Lo Tomar tsar, if we don't say anything about it, then she has pain. So what happened is, they started bringing this food on, on the QT. and she had a big yearning for some sort of food, but it's beneath the princess to suddenly, I mean, smelled something, you know, they got it. So they did it quietly, which is a very interesting thing. It's like saying, we really want to say shame, but it's not nice. Moshe didn't say it. So we're going to do it quietly, not under our breath. Okay. Now. Um, um, good. So now here here they quote the entire Tosefta. And that's pretty much our sugia but I want to show you, um, oh, sorry, one other thing, and this is the thing in blue. this is critical. Amar Rabbi Avahu, all right, Rabbi Avahu, who you know, the chief rabbi of Caesarea, he tkinu shio b'kol ram. Look what he says. They made a takana to say Baruch shame out loud. This is not Yom Kippur, this is all the time. Why? Ne tarumat haminin. Now, tarumata minim the carping of the sectarians, is a phrase that we're familiar with from a number of sugyot, perhaps most famously from the sugya in the first paragraph of brachot, which records that they read the aserat dibrot the decalogue, publicly in the kohanim's Beit Knesset, or gathering time of tefillah every day in the, in the Beit HaMikdash. And the Gemara records that they wanted to institute it as a daily practice outside of the Beit HaMikdash. Ella luhu minim. They canceled it out because of the carping of the minim. And Rashi says, the minim who said the only thing we got in Sinai was the Aserat HaDibrot. So to make sure that we didn't give the impression that we thought the Decalogue was the only thing we received from God, we stopped the practice. That, by the way, is what's behind the famous chub of the Rambam. The Rambam was asked a question by a community whose rabbi had retired and they got a new rabbi in and their custom had always been with their old rabbi that when the Aseretah dibrot were read publicly they remained seated like they did for all of Kriata Torah. The new rabbi came into town and said no you have to stand up so the community wrote the Rambam and said who's right And the Rambam said the old rabbi was right you're not allowed to stand up for Aseretah Dibrot, because it gives the impression that Aseretah Dibrot are different holier, or more special then every Pasuk in the Torah is of equal weight. Right? Now, it's not exactly true, and that's a long discussion, but halachically, it's the case. Right. So, this idea of tarumata minim, of uh, doing something or avoiding something because it's going to either give an opening to or create polemic problems with the minim, is something that's recorded elsewhere. Rabbi Avahu says they made a takana to say Baruch Shem Kvod Ma'chutol Leolam Va'ed because of the claims of the Minim. And we have to discuss what that means. Sorry for the pun. But there's a, the next line is Uven Nahardeah. Nahardeah is the town in Bavel, um, which by the way, interesting history to Nahardeah. Uh, Nahardeah was the town of Shmuel. And Nahardeah had had a population of Jews and yeshivot for hundreds of years, meaning going back to to before the time of the Chorban. Um, and Nahardea was destroyed in, uh, in the middle of third century by the Palmyrians, the Tadmorin came in. And the students of Nahardea, for the most part, uh, joined the yeshiva in Pumbadita. But after about three generations, they reconstituted the town. And there was now a new a town, a new yeshiva in Nahardea. And it lasted for quite a while. And the, the Gemara comments: this "Is now Nahardea second time around the leka minin. We don't have minim here. Adhashda till now we don't have minim. Amri Labaksha. You know what our custom is in Nahardea? We say baruch Hashem, quietly. By the way, that's our custom, isn't it? We say baruch Hashem, quietly. So Rabbi Avahu said the a takana to say it be ram And then the Gemara comments here in Nahardea: We don't have such a problem, so we say it quietly." What's going on? What is the Torah? Torah, Torah now, here's the line that's really surprising. Rabbeinu Nochananel. Rabbeinu Nochananel lived in the 10th century in Kirwan. He came from his father, Hushiel, lived in Italy and moved to South, North Africa, to Tunisia. And Rabbi Nochananel, who was really, you could call him the first of the Parshaneh Talmud. He wrote a, a comprehensive commentary on much of the Talmud. We have it and it's brilliant. And it's concise, and it's, it's great. And Rabbeinu Chananel, in his commentary here, writes the following. B'makom bo minim. Notice he words the Gemara opposite. The Gemara's wording was, they made a takana that, to say it out loud because of the minim. He says, they made a takana that if there are no minim, They say it quietly. Makom she'yish bo minim, kol ram. But if there's a place of minim, they say it out loud. And then he says, In Usha, there were minim. How did Usha get here? Now, Usha, as you know, is a town in the Galil, which is one of the locations. First of all, it was the Rebbe town. It was also one of the locations of the Sanhedrin. When it moved from Yavne, it moved north. And one of the places that it was for a while was in Usha. Usha was a spot of many Takanot, the takana that you're not allowed to give more than 20% of your funds to tzedakah is the usha. Many of the takanot of ketubah were t- takanot usha. Right? And here he says, in usha they had a lot of minim. The statement comes out of nowhere. These four words are, are very odd. Because you look in the gemara and it says nothing about usha. And by the way, I checked every, I could have shown you here, but I checked every ketav every tfus, every version of the gemara, nothing about usha here, nothing very strange statement i'll tell you what i think is going on but right now it's theoretical we're a theory we're still trying to put it together a little bit better what is meaning good that's what we got to get to okay um so let's take a look at one more thing and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about this because it's all right in front of us the Yerushalmi, the talmud Yerushalmi on our section um says as follows K.T.A.U. Korchina, Shmam Rav Acha Amarabi Zi'ira Lo Shma Yisrael, sorry, I'm okay, I made a mistake. Amarav La. This, by the way, is a common mistake people make. They read it and they think it means low. I am sorry to tell you, but there's an author who published a book on the Rushalmi who made this mistake, which is really embarrassing. It's Amarav La, which is Elah, Rav Ela. Shma Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, El Shalayu Mav Sikin Ben Tevala teva. Divar Mayor. He has a different version of the of the Tosefta. He says the problem was they would say, they wouldn't pause between words. We saw that already. And now Rab So another version of what Rabbi Ilah said, right? This is this was um. Uh, Rabbi Acha, according to Rabbi Zeira. Here is Rabbi Yossi, according to Rabbi Zeira. Meaning, they would say um No, they would actually stop, but they wouldn't say baruch Shein. So, there's a lot of confusion here as to what's going on. Now, Manny asks. One of the two key questions. He asked the other key question already, which is what's Korchin. Now, what's what are Minim? So the general consensus, Minim literally means sectarians. The general consensus is that Minim usually, not always, Minim usually refers to early Jewish Christians, meaning Jews who are part of the Jewish people, but who've adopted this new belief. In later times, you can't talk about Jewish Christians because that's that's a contradiction in terms. So in later times, you'd be talking about Christians who are trying to sort of infiltrate the Jewish community or who are heckling. When you talk about tarumataminim Minim, already in the in in Bavel in the Amoraic times, so we're talking about third and fourth century, and not having the public reading of the Aserata di Road because of Tarumata Minim, these are no longer Jews who have adopted a messianic belief of foreign type, but rather these are already Christians who are, who are, as we say, cheparding. How do you say cheparding in English? We're like har- harassing Jews about their beliefs, okay? Um, and so the Minim were people who made claims. So like Rashi points out, the Minim had the claim that the only thing that God gave the Jewish people was the Decalogue, therefore we can't make the Decalogue publicly more significant, and that's why they canceled that. An interesting piece of information um, about, the, the, um, about Baruch Shein is the following. In the early days, behind of the first century and a half, the first two centuries, pretty much through the Tanaitic era, really, the majority of the Christians that we interacted with were people who were Jewish and people who were very familiar with whatever Jews were familiar with at that point. And were, of course, interpreting it in ways that favored their belief. And the best example of that is, I, I can't recommend doing this, but if you do, flip through the Synoptic Gospels, uh, especially Matthew, you will see numerous quotes from Tanakh, that are then interpreted to apply to the life of the founder of Christianity or of the events of his life or his death. As an example, Hosea six two, he will bring us back to life after two days, and on the third day, we will live before him. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? The suffering servant of the, of the second part of Yeshayahu, all over the place, Isaiah 53, like crazy. They're quoting these left and right. Um, they have psukim, and they have psukim, by the way, even in Bereshit, kiavo Memtet, which would say interpreted as until the messenger of God comes, all sorts of psukim. So they would hassle us with psukim. In some cases, these hassles would be in a Beit Midrash kind of environment, in a, like a debate. But one of the things that they capitalized on was finding because you know you can find anything you can find anything at Tanakh and Horaya we have an election coming up again God willing in five six weeks an election season in Israel is always Chidon Tanakh. because every pasuk in the Tanakh that could ever support any kind of party is pulled out and turned into a bumper sticker you can you can prove nothing but you can support anything if you creatively use uh use the you know the kid who doesn't want a curfew says a me, you know let my people go so you could do anything the the one of the biggest sticking points throughout the end of the classical and through the medieval period between Jews and Christians was trinitarianism trinitarianism the idea of there being three gods and by the way the christians in already in, in the 12th century, probably earlier, we're already making hay with Bereshit. They say, "Hey, look at the first three letters in the Torah. What are the first three letters in the Torah?" All right, Ben Ruach Av, the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. All right. To which Ravino Tom respond What are the next three letters? Yeshu Sheker Yeshu v'Torato." All right. So you know we we can play the game both ways. <clears throat> and both things are silly. But Trinitarian is a big issue evidently the christians would take psukim in which god's name is mentioned three times and use it as an argument for trinitarianism look at the central doxological pasuk that we declare twice a day and more than twice a day shema Israel. and what do we say count them on your fingers adonai eloheinu adonai and then echad for them is perfect because their whole idea is The one Godhead made up of three parts, three persons. Now, what do we then turn around and say to make sure that it's clear that it's not that? You understand that Baruch Shem is a doxological statement of absolute unity in response. And now you can understand the following. Rabbi Avau says, and Rabbi Avau is living in Caesarea in the third century, in the end of the third century. Christianity is already happening there. He says, we made a takana to say Baruch Shem out loud because of the Minim. And the Gemara says, yeah, here in Nahadeh, we don't have Minim, so we say it quietly. Well, if you don't have Minim, why say it at all? So yes, we have the story with Yaakov. Yes, we have Kishem Hashem Akra, but I'll tell you what I think is really happening. We say it quietly because it's always there, and if we need to, we can pull it out and say it out loud. So if we find ourselves in a situation where the people around us are saying, hey, you guys are declaring the Trinity, we then say Baruch Hashem out loud, and to make sure we don't forget it, we do it once a year, out loud. I think that what was happening, this is my theory, is that in Kirwan, in Rabbeinu Hananel's uh, community, I believe, and This is all just speculation. This has just started in the last two days. So you got to give me time. But that in his community, there were problems with Christians who were harassing Jews about their beliefs. That there were Christians in North Africa during the 10th century, there's no question. That there were difficult relations between Christians and Jews, there was no question. But did it come down to this? That we got to see. And I believe that in his community, they have the custom of saying it out loud because of that exact issue. Baruch is the fix, if you will, the corrective, if you will, for the possible doubt that could arise when you say Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad. And so that's what the significance of this. And that's where it comes in. And by the way, you look at me, I'm looking at your face, you look at me like I'm kind of weird, but I want to take you back to something. The Mishnah at the end of Brachot teaches that they used to say, Baruch Hashem Min HaOlam, as a response to Brachot said in the Beit HaMikdash, until Tzadukim came along and said there's only one world, and they changed it to Baruch Adonai Min HaOlam Viad HaOlam. Look at the Mishnah at the end of Brachot. In other words, we modified our liturgical practices based on polemics from outside groups, not outside groups like Indonesian Muslims, outside groups that are real, real close. You don't polemicize with people on the other side of the world. We don't have polemics against Martians. But we do have polemics against people who maintain a claim of belief in Tanakh and who claim that they are Verus Israel, the true Israel, and who claim to interpret the P'sukim and Tanakh in what they think is the right way, just like with the Tzedukim. And that's where the polemics really kick in. And so that's where Shem becomes so significant. And I believe that that's what's behind this entire Takanah. And you think now to what started here. Korchin et Shema, the people in Yericho, and now you can understand back to the Mishnah. The people in Yericho said Shema without Baruch Shem. Why? They didn't have a problem. It was a Jewish town. Well, what problem would they have? Why would they add Baruch Shem in? So the Chachamim originally in the version was Hodulam. They said, good idea. So Behuda turns around and says, if it's such a good idea, why don't we recommend it everywhere? And the answer is pretty simple because it's just not true everywhere. So we changed the language. What's the language? Why didn't the Chachamim protest? Because there's no reason to protest. They're doing the right thing in Yericho. However, in wherever Rabbi Avahu was, well in Kesaria, they had to say it out loud because there were Minim. So over the course of the last hour, we've taken a look, we an hour five minutes, I apologize. Over the course of the last hour or so, we've taken a look at um at our Mishnah we've taken a look at the Tosefta and we saw the Taviyah of the Tosefta we saw two passages from the Sifri to talk about Baruch Shem from different angles one of them as the proper public response to somebody calling out and the second as the story of Yaakov parenthetically in this public response to somebody calling out that means that at some point they have the custom that the Shliach Tzibur would say Shema Yisrael and the community would answer Baruch Shem and you understand why now, in light of what we saw. We then saw the discussion in the Bavli, and we saw how the Bavli quoted the Tosefta, and then the story about Yaakov, and then this line that says that in the Hardeya we didn't have any meaning, so they had the custom of saying it quietly. And, uh, and then we saw the very odd comment of Rebbeinu it still needs some, uh, some clarification and research.
1: And okay, also so- you
0: have to clarify why we say on Yom Kippur out loud. Oh, good. So, I, I, like I said, I think the reason we in Yom Kippur out loud is two things. First of all, Yom Kippur, in general, is a sta- is a time of great, sorry for saying it, great doxologies. We declare all sorts of beliefs. Think about it. One of the central songs on Yom Kippur is Vachom Aminim. And La'elorechtin, there's these statements of what we believe about God. And we say them out loud, very loud, singing, without masks, whatever. And in addition, think about the end of Yom Kippur. What's the end of Yom Kippur, if not a dying al Kiddush Hashem? That's the way the Shalat describes it. You, you're standing, standing there and ready to give your life al Kiddush Hashem, declaring God's unity. And it ends with the evoking the famous scene on Hara Adonai Hu Hay Elohim, seven times. So I believe that part of the reason we do doing Yom Kippur is because that's what Yom Kippur is about. Yom Kippur is about declaring the essential truth about God out loud. And the other thing is, I think maybe they kept it as a one-day custom to say it out loud so we always have it in our back pocket so that so that should the need arise we have it there to declare in the face of the of the meaning right i remember years ago just in line of this thing of saying it three times um we lived in pittsburgh for a couple of years a delightful time and the rabbi in the shul there who since has moved uh, moved on but uh, delightful man and we we had a great relationship and he told me that the you know the old Aleinu that used to be sung in Shul, that ended with Veneemar. Remember that? So the Pasuk is El echad, echad. But in the Germanic, I think it's a Germanic tune, they would end it with Ushemo, Ushemo, Ushemo echad. And he was bothered by that because he felt like it was a little bit of Trinitarianism. So what he did was the one time, remember it was, I think, Shabbat Zachar or Purim. Were they actually saying it? He had three different guys, each one of them sing one of them, <laughs> so there wouldn't be like, yeah. you know, like that. Okay. In any so, case, wait, wait. so I'm talking,
1: talking about the old Minhag which is still followed in in Zurich and in Brackenrath, it stopped. Period. They didn't say B'neema. It didn't say Benema because it didn't talking? say Kadish yesom. They added Venema later on to have a Pasuk from Tanakh to be able to say Oh very Anichasso. good.
0: And that's and that's of course what led to the confusion of Malchiod. Yeah.
1: Okay. And and then if you in what's his name? Who brought it? Uh, oh come on. Mark Shapiro in his book, he brings down why is it that Allenu seems to have the same niggin throughout the whole world? Yeah. Because the Gaim used to come into the shul to make sure they didn't say Shehemish Shah and the so what they did is to keep them from going inside they said we're going to sing it so the, the gods could stand outside they didn't go into the shul and that's why you know because throughout europe they, the christians were, were trying to make sure that they weren't say uh keep Fascinating. wow that's a great seoma okay in, it's, in, it's in the changing the immutable whatever you right. call it that's okay. great okay next week Hashem,
0: we're going to start the sugya of hillel's ascent to the head of the sanhedrin is a great story Meantime, everybody have a great week. Stay healthy, and Kurt, we hope that this is a fitting. And yeah, we'll thank bother. you, Rob. Great, yeah. yashikoa Really, really. I appreciate